All right, guys, we're going to get into the teaching of the Word today. We are in a teaching series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're calling it Rest on Us because in Isaiah 11:2 it says that the, the Holy Spirit would rest upon the Messiah and that the attributes of the Holy Spirit would be evident in his life. And so that is our same prayer for our lives, is that the Holy Spirit would rest on us and we would see the fruit of the Spirit, the attributes of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit evident in our lives. So as we've been doing every week, let's remind ourselves what is our definition of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It is an act of God's Spirit to produce a concrete manifestation, which means people can see it or hear it, in word or deed of God's grace through an individual for the benefit of others, right? So the Holy Spirit empowers you to either do something or say something that ministers God's grace to somebody or a group of somebodies in a supernatural way. It's never for ourselves. It's always for the benefit of others. So we have broken up the spiritual gifts into five categories. These are not biblical categories. We just made these up so that it would be easier to teach them in groups. And so two weeks ago, we taught the revelation gifts. Last week, we taught the power gifts. Today, we're going to be teaching the three vocal gifts. And then next Sunday, the serving gifts. And then finally, the following Sunday, the five office gifts. And, uh, and so... We're going to get into the vocal gifts today, and remember, our goal in this teaching series is to take the fact that we are a charismatic church, that we believe in the operation of the Holy Spirit for today, that that doesn't just make us some fringe part of Christianity, or that there are just kind of these weird things that we do. No, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are powerful and practical, and in the New Testament church, they were not friends things. They were the expected things. They were in operation regularly, and that is our desire. We want to see them in operation regularly. And so I want everyone to see that these gifts of the Holy Spirit are powerful and practical. So let's talk about the vocal gifts. You've got your notes. Not all of you have a clipboard, but you've got your notes in the bulletin or they're on our church app or they're attached to this video, or they're attached to this audio. Here's our big picture point today. The vocal gifts are divine moments when an individual is able to share a right now message from God to the congregation or to a smaller gathering. So this is a supernatural moment when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and gives you a right now message from God that you can share with the church or share in a smaller setting. And so based on the attributes of the Holy Spirit in Isaiah 11:2, we're calling this the spirit of counsel because God has words of counsel for us and he wants to deliver them through the individuals of the church. And so this includes the gift of prophecy, the gift of various kinds of tongues, and the gift of interpretation of tongues, which, let's be honest, this is the one that people can feel the most weird about. And so we're going to talk about it, and we want to teach you good doctrine, and we want you to be solid in the foundation of the truth of God's Word. Now, prophecy and speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues, we actually have more instruction on these than we do any of the other gifts. Because Paul spent an entire chapter in 1 Corinthians 14 giving instruction just on these particular gifts. And the reason he was doing that is because the Corinthian church was doing it wrong, and he was correcting them. But by correcting them, 
He was giving instruction to all the churches that have existed since then. And so what we're going to do today, a little different than maybe the last couple of weeks, is we don't need to necessarily break down each of these gifts into detail because they're pretty straightforward. So what we're going to do instead today, we're going to talk about each of the three gifts quickly, and then we're going to talk about proper etiquette. Because that's what we're given in 1 Corinthians 14 is proper etiquette. How do we prophesy properly? How do we give a message in various kinds of tongues properly? How do we interpret properly? That's what we want to go after. So again, we start in 1 Corinthians 12.8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. And then skipping down to verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Right? Paul is hammering home his point that we all operate in different ways so that collectively together we are one body. And that means that some of us will have the gift of prophecy. Some of us will have the gift of a message in tongues. Some of us will have a gift of the interpretation of tongues. So let's start with prophecy. In the Greek language, the word simply means to declare, to proclaim publicly, to make known. Right? And so the Greeks, even before... uh, Uh, the time of Jesus, used this word as a public declaration, a public proclamation. Of course, in our faith, we have taken that word and added a supernatural element to it so that we would define the gift of prophecy as the divine ability to deliver representative declarations of the mind, will, or knowledge of God. A prophetic word is sharing the mind of God a message that the church needs right now or that a person needs right now. Simply spoken, we could say it's inspired utterance. It is things that we say that are inspired by God, but ultimately it is a message sharing the thoughts in the mind of God. Now, when we hear prophecy, a lot of times we immediately think that prophecy is like future telling, that if you're going to prophesy, you're predicting the future. That can be an aspect of it, But that's not what it has to be. It could be any message from God on any topic relating any time period, past, present, or future, is a prophetic word. And it's interesting in that the prophetic word is the only one of the gifts that Paul encouraged everybody to practice. So this is the one gift that we're all supposed to have and that we should all desire. Romans 12, 6, though, says... However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them properly. If prophecy in proportion to one's faith. So that means that there is a proper way to use prophecy and that we all have different levels 
in our gifting of prophecy and that you should prophesy in proportion to your faith. You should not try to expand what you're declaring to make it as big as what somebody else is declaring. That's not what it's supposed to be. Only share what you hear the Holy Spirit saying in proportion to your faith, not to somebody else's faith. So what is the purpose of prophecy? First, Revelations 19.10. Karen, go ahead and skip to the second half of the verse. There it is. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So that means that the purpose of prophecy is to point people to Jesus or to point people to the testimony of Jesus, which is the gospel. So any prophetic word should point somebody to Jesus. It should draw them closer to God. It should engage them more in the church, which means the opposite. Any prophetic word that pushes somebody away from God, away from Jesus, away from his church, would be a false prophecy. That would not be properly using prophecy. Prophecy should always point people to Jesus. It shouldn't point people to you, right? It's not about you making yourself famous or yourself noticed. It should always point people to Jesus. This includes drawing people to repentance and salvation. Listen to 1 Corinthians 14, 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. So the prophetic has a way of opening up people's hearts that they would repent and give their lives to Jesus. So there is a powerful evangelistic part of prophecy. The second main thing, though, when it comes to the purpose of prophecy, let's go to the beginning of 1 Corinthians 14. And I put the whole chapter in your notes, but we're not going to read the whole chapter together, but I want to encourage you to read the whole chapter. But let's start from the top. Starting in verse 1, it says, Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for edification, exhortation, and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but rather that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edification." So Paul uses three fancy words here. He says the one who prophesies speaks to people for edification, exhortation, and consolation. Now, you could write those three words in your notes if you want to, but I find it's more applicable for us to say the purpose of prophecy is to build up, to stir up, and to cheer up. Edification is to build up, exhortation is to stir up, and consolation is to cheer up. That's what prophecy should do. It should build up, stir up, and cheer up. Right? That means if you want to be an Old Testament prophet and prophesy doom and gloom and judgment and all those types of things, well, that's great, but you're going to be held to the standard of an Old Testament prophet. 
which is 100% accuracy. You get one thing wrong, you're executed, right? That's, that was the standard of an Old Testament prophet. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live by that standard. So what does that mean? That means I'm not going to go around prophesying judgment and doom. I'm going to build up, stir up, and cheer up because that's the purpose of New Testament prophecy. Are you guys with me? All right. Let's talk about tongues. In Greek, the word is glossa, which can literally mean tongue. So anytime in the Bible you read about the tongue, right, like James talks about the tongue can set a whole forest on fire, that's the word glossa, but it can also mean language or speech. And so the gift of various kinds of tongues, we would define it as the divine ability to speak a prophetic message from God in a language, either human or angelic, that you do not know. So what does this gift look like? Well, in the middle of a church service, you have an unction from the Holy Spirit to give a message, and you stand up to give that message, and the words that come out of your mouth are a language that you don't know, and probably most of the people in the church don't know. You say, what do you mean by human or angelic? Well, in 1 Corinthians 13:1, Paul said, if I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I'm just a noisy gong. So there is uh, the tongue of mankind, and there is the tongue of angels. So when you speak in an angelic tongue, you're speaking a language that no human knows because it's a language only spoken by angels, right? And so the Bible says it might come out sounding like groans and utterings that nobody could understand, but you're speaking an angelic language. Or it could be a human language. You could stand up and start giving a message in Tagalog, and you've never studied Tagalog a day in your life. But for that divine moment, you're speaking fluent Tagalog. Right? That's the gift of tongues. Now, I've spent a lot of time preaching on this, and so I'm not going to go back into it. I'm going to point you to some podcasts. The first one was way back in the summer of 2020, August 23rd. We preached a whole sermon on speaking in tongues, and I encourage you to go back and listen to that podcast. We called it Don't Gloss Over It because, you know, glossa is the Greek word. (laughs) I'm witty like that. Um, And then in November of last year, we spent a whole sermon teaching on praying in the Holy Spirit. And so I encourage you to go back and find that podcast on our websites. But speaking in tongues, which is the word glossolalia, which is just fun to say, glossolalia, speaking in tongues biblically can be one of three things. It can be a prayer... And I tell you guys over and over again, I want all of us to be praying in tongues in our private prayer language. It's our private devotional time, and it empowers our prayers, and it edifies our faith. Speaking in tongues is also a sign. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, one of the most common signs that happens is you start speaking in tongues. Or speaking in tongues can be a prophetic message. And that's what we're talking about here. The gift of various kinds of tongues is a prophetic message. So it's it's on the same par as prophecy. You're just giving it in a language you don't know. Which means for it to be helpful for the church, somebody has to interpret it. And that's where we get the gift of interpretations. Now, the Greek word for interpret just means interpret. There's no deep insight I can share with you except it can mean interpret or translation. So I asked myself the question, what's the difference between interpretation and translation? And the answer is, interpretation is done out loud. 
translation is done in writing. That's the difference. So we have Bible translations because it's translated in writing. The gift of interpretation is spoken. If you've ever spoken in a foreign nation, you've had an interpreter where you'll say a sentence and then they'll interpret it, and then you say a sentence and they interpret it, and then if somebody's talking to you, they'll say a sentence and the interpreter will interpret it. The big difference is that with translation, you're going for 100% accuracy. You're going to take the time to study the language, break the words down, and make sure I have translated this with 100% accuracy. With interpretation, you don't have time to study the language, break down the word, and get it 100% right. So interpreters, their goal is to convey the proper sense of what is being said. So I've spoken in foreign nations, and I always wonder, is he really interpreting me, or is he just preaching his own sermon? And it doesn't matter what I say. I don't know. But their goal is not to translate what you're saying word for word. The goal of the interpreter is to express your point and to get your point across. And they have to do it quickly. And the same thing is true of the gift of interpretation. You're not standing up to translate something word for word. It needs to be done immediately. The moment somebody gives a message in tongues, somebody else needs to stand up and give the interpretation. And you are expressing the sense of the prophetic word. So the gift of interpretation of tongues is the divine ability to interpret the message in tongues into the known language of the congregation, even if you don't know the tongue that was spoken. Right? So there's two ways for God to get a message to his people. One is through a prophetic word. Somebody stands up and prophesies. The other is the message is given in tongues, and somebody else stands up and interprets. So the big question is, why would we do it that way? If they both get the same message across, why didn't God just have prophecy? Why is there even a gift of tongues and interpretation? Like, like what? If it strikes people as weird, why did God even institute that as an option? And I want to give you two answers. First, because it's a prophetic sign. Because it's a prophetic sign. In 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 20, Paul said this, Brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church gathers together and all the people speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're insane? <laughs> Paul is quoting Isaiah here. So Isaiah prophesied. He was prophesying that the children of Israel would be taken into captivity where they lived in a foreign land where the people spoke a foreign language. And even though they were in this judgment and people were speaking a foreign language, they still wouldn't listen to God. And Paul says, he takes that and he relates it to the gift of tongues and says the gift of tongues is a prophetic sign. 
that if somebody is in the church who is not a believer and they hear somebody speaking in tongues, it's going to strike them as a foreign language. And if they choose not to listen to what God is saying, then they are setting themselves up for judgment just like the children of Israel did. So it's kind of a roundabout way of explaining why God would do it this way, but that's how Paul explained it to us. And so it's important for us to understand that, that when we speak in tongues, it's a prophetic sign. It creates a supernatural atmosphere. You can sense that the Holy Spirit is moving. And if somebody is in our midst that is carnal in nature and doesn't sense the Holy Spirit, it's going to be a sign to them that they're missing out on something. And they have the choice to either repent or to not listen. So that's why we use the gift of tongues in church. It's a prophetic sign. The second reason why we use the gift of tongues in church is because it models the teamwork aspect of the body of Christ. Rather than just using one person to get a message across, God uses two people working in tandem to get a message across. I've been in situations sometimes where somebody will stand up, give a message in tongues, and then interpret it themselves. And I feel like when that happens, you should have just given it in English. If you can do it both, then just give it in English. But when there's two people working together, we see the body of Christ. We see that teamwork that God desired, right? Paul said this. He said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. He's referring to his own private prayer life. Nevertheless, in church, I prefer to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. So think about that. Paul said, in my private prayer life, I pray in tongues more than anybody. But when I'm in church, I'd rather speak five words in a known language than 10,000 words in tongue. So Paul emphasized the importance that the tongue is only edifying if there's an interpretation. Why was he emphasizing this? Because the church at Corinth, for some reason, fell in love with speaking in tongues, and they would gather as a church, and that's all they do. They would just all speak in tongues, and it would be chaos, and it would be weird. And Paul had to correct them and say, that's not the proper order. Are you guys following me? So let's talk about the proper etiquette when it comes to prophecy or a message of prophecy that comes through tongues and interpretation. The first thing that's important is this, is that every prophetic word should be examined and weighed. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Do not quench the Spirit, do not utterly reject prophecies, but examine everything and hold firmly to that which is good. You see, people tend to swing to one end of the pendulum or the other. One end being... I believe everything that's said. And the other end being, I reject all prophecy. It's all hogwash. And Paul says, don't go to either end. Don't utterly reject it, but don't quench the Spirit. I mean, don't utterly reject it and quench the Spirit, but also you've got to examine it. Don't listen to everything that you're told. You've got to examine everything and only hold on to that which is good. In 1 Corinthians 14, 29, Paul said, have two or three prophets speak and then have the others pass judgments. Interesting, right? The prophets would speak and then other people would judge whether it was a good word or not. Now, I think it's important to point out that Paul was saying to judge the word, not the person. 
All right, I don't want to scare anybody away from prophesying because you think we're all going to judge you. Okay. Judge the word, not the person. Listen, if you are a well-meaning believer and you are trying to operate in the gifts of the Spirit and you give a prophetic word and it turns out to not be a good word and you get corrected, that doesn't make you a false prophet. You are not cursed. You're not an awful person. A false prophet is somebody who prophesies falsely on purpose, who has impure motives and wants to use prophecy abusively. So don't be afraid of giving a bad word. We're going to practice. And if we give a bad word, somebody will correct it. It's okay. But we're supposed to examine it. Again, this is why we are not held to the Old Testament standard of perfection. We're going to make mistakes, but we're all going to work together as a church to examine every word so that we can correct it when mistakes are made. So what are we going to examine? Well, first off, prophetic words must always align with Scripture. There are two words for word in the New Testament Greek. One of those words is logos, which refers to the entire Bible as we have it. The other word for word is rhema. Rhema refers to a right now spoken word of God. For example, when Jesus was being tempted by the devil... He answered the devil and said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That word, word right there is not logos, it's rhema. We do not live on bread alone, but by every rhema that proceeds from the mouth of God, by every right now word. In Ephesians, when it says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, that word is not logos, it's rhema. The sword of the spirit is the rhema of God. It's not the whole Bible. It's what the word of the Lord is that you need right in that moment is your sword. So the important thing to remember is that the rhema is always submissive to the logos. The logos is truth. The logos is God's word in its entirety. The rhema must submit to that. The theologian Bill Hammond said it like this. He said the logos is like a well of water. And the rhema is a bucket of water drawn from that well. If your prophetic word is not drawn from the truth of Scripture, it's not going to stand examination. The second thing we should examine is that prophetic words must be factually accurate. If you say something about the natural world, everybody should be able to confirm if that's factually accurate or not. Right? That one's pretty straightforward. Prophetic words should also bear witness with our spirits. Prophetic words should bear witness with our spirit. Romans 8.16 says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Other translations say the spirit himself bears witness with our spirits. So from the moment of salvation, God deposits his Holy Spirit inside of us. And if we ever wonder, am I really a child of God? The Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit and says, yes, you are a beloved child of God. That is the Holy Spirit bearing witness with our spirit. That bearing witness can also apply to the prophetic words that we hear. Most of the time, if you receive a prophetic word personally, that word should be a confirmation of what's already in your spirit. Very rarely should a prophetic word be directing you in a new direction that you've never thought of before. Very rarely. Most of the time, it should confirm what God has already been stirring in your spirit. And so when you receive a prophetic word, ask yourself, does this bear witness with my spirit? 
Or does this seem totally out of place? We can examine the Word. We don't have to accept everything that we hear, right? Paul, when he was in a church gathering, a man stood up, wrapped a belt around his hands, and said, this is what they're going to do to you when you get to Jerusalem. And then all the other people tried to talk Paul out of going to Jerusalem. But that prophetic word was not to direct Paul away from Jerusalem. It was to confirm what was already in his spirit. The Holy Spirit had already told him that he was going to endure suffering when he got to Jerusalem. So when the man did the prophetic act, that was confirmation for Paul's spirit. It was not a new direction. And finally, prophetic words can be tested over time. In Deuteronomy 18, the word of the Lord says, When the prophet speaks in the name of the Lord and the thing does not happen or come true, then God didn't speak that. So prophecies can be tested over time. Somebody said this would happen? Well, let's wait and see if it happens. And if it doesn't, then they were wrong, and we'll deal with that, right? So all prophetic words should be examined. And, and this should be true of, of whether you receive a word in church, you're watching a video on the Internet, you're watching TBN on television. Whatever word you hear, you should examine all of them. Don't just accept stuff just because you hear it. All right, so let's talk about prophetic etiquette really quick, and then uh, I want to get into practicing this. Um, so we got to go through these quickly because I'm almost out of time. Prophetic etiquette. First, do not give or receive private prophecy. Do not give or receive private prophecy. Prophecy can be used in an abusive way. It can be used in a manipulative way. And the best way to avoid that is don't ever let somebody give you a private word. Because of modern technology, the absolute best tool we have is you pull your phone out of your pocket, you open up the voice memo app, and anytime somebody gives you a word, record it. We record everything that goes through the microphone here at church so that if anybody ever gets a prophetic word through the microphone here at church, we've got a recording of it. We can follow up with it. You can write it down. If you've got a personal word for somebody, don't go to them alone. My pastor calls it parking lot prophecy. Don't practice parking lot prophecy. Don't pull somebody aside in the parking lot and give them a private word. And if somebody tries to pull you aside in the parking lot and give you a private word, tell them, no, let's go get somebody else. Or tell them, hang on a second, let me get my voice memo app out so I can record it. Right? Don't give private prophecies. Prophecy should be examined. It should be processed. And you can't do that if nobody else heard it. Are you guys with me? All right. Discern the right time and place to share the word. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said the spirit of prophets are subject to the prophets. What that means is, is just because you have a word doesn't mean you have to give the word. When you feel the unction of a prophetic word, take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit, how am I supposed to share this? Am I supposed to share this with the person in a small gathering? Am I supposed to take the microphone and share it in front of the church? Right? Shannon practiced this last Sunday. She had a word for Fran. She was going to give it to Fran after service. The Holy Spirit said, no, share it with her in front of the whole church. So Shannon got up. She took the microphone, and she shared the word in front of the whole church. And again, that word stirred up and built up and cheered up. Carol's with us today. Her husband, Art, told me a horror story of prophetic words that were used improperly where somebody got up in front of the entire church with a microphone 
and said, God told me that there's somebody in here who's secretly looking at pornography. You've been hiding it, and you're the person. And called him out in front of the whole church. All right, listen, if God gives you that kind of a word of knowledge, something incredibly shameful and private in somebody's life, he didn't intend for you to share that word in the microphone in front of the whole church. Honestly, a word that serious, you should grab your pastor and sit down with that person in private and process that word. Right? So just because you have a word doesn't mean you're supposed to share it immediately in front of the whole church. We've got to discern the right time and place to share the word. Everyone who gives a prophetic word should be accountable to leadership. Verse 37, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Anybody that gives a prophetic word or even fancies to call themselves a prophet should be submitted to church leadership. And if they're not, then they're not a prophet. Right? So if you're listening to a prophetic word on a video on the Internet, the first question you should ask yourself is, who is this person submitted to? And if you don't know who they're submitted to, don't listen to their prophetic word. Does that make sense? The fivefold ministry of the church, which we will get to in two weeks, works together. And so if somebody is not willing to receive correction or accountability for their prophetic word, then don't listen to them. They don't have the right hearts. Everyone who receives a prophetic word should process it with their leadership. So again, this is why we want to record it or have it in writing so that you can come to your pastor or one of your elders and say, hey, I received a prophetic word. Will you process it with me? And then we can sit down and process it. Is it alignment with Scripture? Does your spirit bear witness with it? Is it factually accurate? Okay, what are we supposed to do with it? Are you supposed to act right now, or are you supposed to just wait and see what God does? All of those things are important to process. Don't just get a prophetic word and run with it and make some life-altering decision without wise counsel. Process it. Amen? This one's important. Unless you have a long track record of accurate prophecy, do not prophesy marriage, babies, money, or specific dates. Okay, yes, I'm getting very specific here. Remember, prophesy in proportion to your faith. There are some prophets who have a long track record. Eric Butler, who we brought to this church two years ago, he prophesied Hannah. He prophesied a baby. He said, how many kids do you have? We said two. He said, God's going to give you one more. And I rebuked him. And God still did it. All right, so, so he prophesied a baby over us. That is a no-no unless you have a long track record, which Eric Butler does. Do not prophesy marriage, babies, money, or specific dates. Because those can be very manipulative, and those can cause a lot of pain and hurt in people's lives if you are speaking out of turn. Amen? And then finally, when it comes to prophecy, get in and get out. What do I mean by that? Prophetic words should not be many sermons. All right, you should not get up and take over a church service for 10 or 12 minutes. Get up, say what God told you to say, and then get out. Don't add your own ideas to it. Only say what God told you to say. Now, sometimes God only gives you one sentence, and you stand up, and when you're faithful and obedient to speak that sentence, 
God gives you a few more sentences, and it starts to flow. But still, get in and get out. Say what you're supposed to say, and then step aside. Don't take over the service or bog down the service uh, by, by dragging on with a mini-sermon, right? Don't, don't prophesy your pet peeves, okay? Don't, don't get up and start going on and on about what you don't like. That's not prophecy. Here's the important thing. Let me have the worship team come back up. I'm out of time, but, man, I got so much more to teach, but I got to stop myself. Listen, here's the important thing. We can be spiritual and do things properly and in order. Most charismatic churches think you have to choose one or the other. If you're going to be orderly, you're quenching the spirit. For the spirit to move, there's got to be chaos. We've got to be people talking over each other and people shouting and people flopping in the aisles. And No, we can be spiritual and do things in proper order. In fact... If you're not doing things in proper order, you're not being spiritual. You're being carnal. I just want to let that one hang there for a second so that we can all grab it. Okay? If you're not doing things in proper order, you're not being spiritual. You're being carnal. 1 Corinthians 14.40, Paul concludes his chapter by saying, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly way. So that means... Uh, tongues should not continue to be spoken in church if there's no one to interpret. Well, how do you know if there's someone to interpret? Well, we could ask. Will that quench the Spirit? I don't think so. If somebody comes up and says, I've got a message in tongues, does somebody else feel the unction to interpret it? We can ask, yeah. Or we might know that there's some people in our church that have the gift of interpretation. Or you might give the message in tongues in faith, and then if nobody interprets, we're just going to cut it off and move on. But tongues should not be spoken in church if there's no one to interpret. Shannon tells a story. When she was a teenager, she was in a charismatic service, and somebody stood up and started speaking in tongues, an angelic language that nobody understood. But Shannon heard her speaking clear as day in English. Shannon went to her after the service and pulled her aside and said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that was such an encouraging prayer that you were praying. And the woman said, I was praying in tongues. What are you talking about? And Shannon said, I heard the whole message. And the woman called the meeting back to order and said, everybody, there's an interpretation. And Shannon gave the interpretation to, to everybody that was at the meeting. She didn't know that that was the gift of interpretation. She just thought she was hearing it in English. Paul says that tongues should be limited in church but not forbidden. Right? We should be prophesying way more than we're giving messages in tongues. But don't forbid it. If it happens, let's let it go because it's a prophetic sign. The supernatural is going to move and people are going to see the church operating as a body. So don't forbid it but do it properly and in order. And the final thing I want to say is this. Paul makes a statement at the end of 1 Corinthians 14 that sounds like he's forbidding women to speak or prophesy in church. Is that the case? The answer is no. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and begins to preach, he quotes the prophet Joel. And what did the prophet Joel say? That in the last days he would pour out his spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. 
He says, even your male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy, men and women. In 1 Corinthians 11.4 and 11.5, Paul says men should not pray or prophesy with their head covered. And then he says women should not pray or prophesy with their head uncovered. So he clearly is giving permission for women to pray and prophesy publicly in church. So then why is there this passage at the end of 1 Corinthians 14 where it sounds like Paul is telling women not to? And, of course, there's a lot of men in leadership who have run with that and said women aren't allowed to. The answer is, if you read it in context, he is talking about the testing or the judging of prophetic words. And he says to women, don't speak out against a man in the public service. Go home, and when you're privately with your husband, ask him about the prophetic word so that you can process it privately. So he was not forbidding women to speak in public. What he was forbidding was for women to embarrass their husbands in public by questioning their prophetic word. Are you guys with me? So, uh, so we can follow that standard, but we will not silence women in church. 100% absolutely yes, women should speak and prophesy in church. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, well, here's what we're going to do since I've gone too long. Um, we're going to worship. I think Sugi has chosen the perfect song that we could sing right now to set the atmosphere for the prophetic. So we're going to sing this song, and I want the lyrics to resonate in your spirits. And then, after we're done singing, we're going to release the spirit of prophecy, and we're going to encourage people to prophesy, all right? So stick with me. I went a little long, but don't go anywhere, because we want the spirit of God to move, amen? So, Lord, we invite you right now. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so we invite the spirit of prophecy into this place. Lord, we will practice it properly and in order. We will follow your word, but we will let the spirit flow because the church needs to be strengthened, to be built up, to be stirred up, to be cheered up. We need the consolation of the Lord. We need our eyes fixed on Jesus. So, Lord, we need the rhema. We need the right now word. Uh, that will speak into our lives. So we open ourselves up and we say, Holy Spirit, use us. We submit ourselves to the unction. We will be obedient, Lord. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, let's sing this song, and then we're going to open it up for a few minutes.